I have always, even when I was getting fired, I was like on food stamps for a while in my 20s when I first moved to New York. I have always made it happen. I believe in my ability because I will, I'm any kind of work is an honor. I'll do whatever as long as it resonates with me. I'm not above any job and have worked multiple jobs for most of my life. So I was not concerned about my ability to land on my feet because I knew if it didn't work out, I would just get a part-time job or something. But I really wanted to have it work and I was very committed to putting my all into it working and I just worked my ass off for years. That was Lindsay Mack and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 170. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I don't have any magic answers. I can't give you a miraculous 10-day six-step life hack plan for anything, really. But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm so over that quick fix approach, honestly. And my guess is maybe you are too. Perhaps that's why you're here. So we'll be diving into today's episode in a few minutes. But before that, I have two quick things that I want to share with you. The first is a reminder that this is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, where we talk about things like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health. We talk about grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. My hope is that these conversations will make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, while also challenging you to consider a new perspective from someone whose lived experiences might be different from your own. That's really important. And then the other thing that I want to tell you is that you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions on this podcast because these conversations, they're 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and will always be free. But if you love it, if these conversations do indeed make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. This tangible financial support, that's what allows me to keep making new episodes and it pays everyone involved in making Real Talk Radio. That includes me, my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of my guests. It's been my dream for years to be able to pay all my guests, and our community recently met the funding goal that makes that possible now. So all the guests whose stories you love are indeed getting paid for their time with us, and higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. I know it's not the norm in the podcast industry to pay guests or to have a listener-funded show, but I fully believe that where we spend our money, it's a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, that means it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio. So that's what your financial support contributes to. And as a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series called Notes of Grit and Grace. That's where I share my real life in real time. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for live events and retreats. 
Also, 5% of each season's profit is donated to a different social justice organization. With past donations going to places like Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution as well. Over on our Patreon page, you'll see that there are currently three different funding levels. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together after the release of each new season, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to support the show. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Lindsay Mack. Lindsay is an intuitive mentor, teacher, writer, and the founder of Tarot for the Wild Soul. Hailed by the wayward as one of the most important new voices in the world of modern spirituality and wellness, Lindsay is the creator of Soul Tarot, a way of interpreting and intentional utilizing the tarot as a tool for our soul's growth and evolution. Soul Tarot is a fusion of Lindsay's 22 years of experience reading and studying tarot, her work with her mentor, her own healing journey through complex PTSD and chronic illness, and channeled wisdom from her guides. Through her regularly sold-out workshops, retreats, and online tarot courses, Lindsay has had the profound honor of teaching soul tarot to thousands of people from all around the world. In this episode, Lindsay shares some of the myths and misconceptions about tarot and goes into detail on how we can use it as a tool for our own healing and self-inquiry. She tells stories from the early days of her now super successful business, including the intense breakdown that led her into this work in the first place. We talk about boundaries, marriage, family trauma, and how the willingness to reevaluate, change, and grow has served Lindsay throughout her life. I got so much out of this conversation. I'm talking frantic, aha moment type journaling the moment we were done recording, and I hope that you enjoy hearing from Lindsay as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. It's such a joy to be here. So I have a totally selfish and perhaps a bit superficial question. Um, Tell me about your skincare routine. I feel like I missed the phase of adulthood when people started doing this and you have lovely skin and I would like to hear about it. First of all, you, I'm dying. All, all of the younger versions of me are dying. I feel, I feel like deeply, like very lit up by that question. Thank you so much. Um, and I actually have a lot of, I have a lot of passion about this. So I owe my entire skincare routine to the wisdom of a holistic esthetician in New York city named Britta plug, um, who is quite well known in New York, I think in certain circles, but deserves like all of the praise and all of the lifting. And I had no, I was using bar soap before I started working with her. So she basically, what I use is mainly from a line called Laurel. Um, I use an oil cleanser on my face, which comes off with a hot washcloth. And then I use um, a spray elixir on my face. And then in my hand, I mix up spray elixir and facial oil 
and basically rub it together and like pat it onto my face. So there's no cleanser of any kind. There's nothing. It's actually a lot of oil and like water. And I was, I never had learned that, but all of my acne went away. My skin started glowing. I hardly ever have problems in terms of breakouts, although it happens from time to time because of hormones. And she also taught me gua sha, which I'm not that I used to do it every day. Now I don't as much anymore just because I'm busy. I forget. And again, that's the constant backward and forward of honoring personal ritual that I'm still working on. (laughs) But gua sha is amazing. And Britta taught me that too. And the skincare line Laurel, I've just like, other than Britta's new line called Wildling, which I know I'm talking Britta up a lot, but she really deserves it. She's incredible. And Her new skincare line is pretty unbelievable too. That's it. So it's very simple, but also very specific. Yeah. Thank you for being specific. I I mean, I'll definitely include her name and stuff in the show (laughs) notes and we'll frantically Google the moment we get off this call. But I think something that I've been thinking about, and I guess like skincare is just one realm in which to talk about that. I am in a period of a lot of change and transition right now. Um, I spend, you know, a couple months a year doing long distance hiking. I'm moving into a van that I'm building out this spring. And something that's been tough for me is like, when I think about, oh, skincare, like, okay, sure, that would be easy to do at home if all the conditions were great, but I'm not going to be able to do that necessarily on trailer in the van, so why bother? Like, I am I can get very all or nothing yeah. with it, so I'm always interested to hear of, like, the specifics that work for other people and then to start of have to check myself on, okay, maybe you can't do this every day forever, but it's still worth doing or finding a way to amend it. I don't know. I struggle with that. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you something if we're going into this, that I have extremely sensitive skin. Um, It's gotten more sensitive as I've gotten older. And if I was unable to do Laurel, I would just make my own. And I feel like if you're doing van living, like I learned so much just by Googling. I also bought a book by Rosemary Gladstar. And last year I started to buy... And I think that one can do this and like you can, you can do this once and then keep it for such a long time. Like I still have herbs from quite a way ago. Um, if you buy a couple of ounces of specific herbs and if you kind of do your homework and see like which one resonates with you, calendula and chamomile are great. Um, you can make your own body oil in a mason jar with these dried herbs. You just let it steep, you strain it, and then you've got it and you've made your own. And I often feel like If I was ever in a position where I was living in a much more stripped down way, um, I would totally make my own hydrosols and facial oils. And I actually believe I could do it. So I feel like that's one of the most amazing things is like, I've just learned like that skincare line really works for me, but that's because it's extremely pure and pretty simple. And I've just learned like again and again and again, if I make it, it usually works better than something else. So I feel a real kick of inspiration on your behalf, kind of, because I feel like you could totally make your own stuff on the road with no problem. Yeah, I think so too. Isn't it interesting? I know I started this line of questioning by sort of saying like, hey, maybe this is a little bit superficial, but I think there's something that's interesting when it comes, like if we're using skincare as the lens or, you know, like self-care as a larger thing, that there can be roadblocks too of like, 
I'm worth the time that it takes to do this, which maybe sounds silly because it's what, five minutes, 10 minutes, but I've talked to other folks who have expressed similar things of having a hard time, like switching their routines and habits to prioritize themselves. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's very true. And I feel like even something as simple as like, I mean, I, I have, you know, problems in my life that are beyond this, but (laughs) there are times with like, when I put on oil after a shower, my skin is completely different than if I'm like, Ugh, I don't feel like it, whatever. And it's dry. It's upset with me. And yet that moment of choice to say, no, I am going to override the brain's invitation to like, Oh, you're not worth. Cause those things are so subtle. I actually feel like exactly what you're saying is one of the, it's an area where we have to engage with it every day. And it's one of those areas that speaks a lot of volumes about just where we are on that particular day on that season of our life, depending on if the brain is kind of like, no, don't, or forget it, or it's not a big deal or just buy whatever, you know, it's, so I think it, I totally agree with you. I think there's very deep roots with engagements like that. Yeah. You know, I also think too, or I have to keep reminding myself that uh, this idea of like taking that kind of time for yourself, that no one's going to gift that to me. Like the, that phrasing mm-hmm. of like carving it out sometimes feels like very real, right? The like draw a line in the sand of like, no, I am going to make time for this. Like I don't need to rush back to my desk. This extra five minutes on Instagram is not going to make a difference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. So drop me into your real life a little bit. What's feeling particularly important to you right now? Right now at the onset of like at this moment uh, of the recording, what is feeling really important to me is I've been having a lot of autoimmune issues that are new. I have autoimmune issues, but they're flaring in a way that I don't really understand fully right now. And I'm, and I think it's bigger than that, not bigger as in more ominous, but bigger as in more deeply rooted. Like there's some evolution happening. Like there is a little bit more, uh, of an intolerable boundary that my body is laying, uh, across for me around food. I used to be able to kind of get away with like eating dairy. And, um, now that I'm not, now my body is really like, well, that's not available to you anymore. And, um, like, I think I used to be able to eat eggs with no problem. Now I cannot. So it's really interesting. Um, I live a very physically connected, I mean, we all do, but I'm very much a physical, intuitive, very physical empath. Like it's a body lifetime for me in a big way. I think some people like we all live with these vessels and kind of all work to come home to them in our own way. But it's feeling really important to me to begin to navigate these changes with grace and to really keep my heart open to the right resources and support, regardless of whether that means doctor or like book. Like, I really don't care. I just know something's happening and I want to be able to understand it a little better. But yeah, that's what's feeling really important to me. It's just a whole nother layer of working with my body in a way that is very gentle and kind and choosing not to make this 
a problem that has to be squashed out right away, but really just being like, okay, this is an initiatory thing, just like anything else. Let's respond to this as best as we can, flexible and with some humor, hopefully, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I think the flexibility thing is interesting. Like hearing you speak about, you know, using eggs, for example, I used to be able to, you know, eat that and tolerate that well, but maybe now not so much. This idea that what worked for you before might not work now and, you know, what works now might not work later. And I think there's, I mean, obviously we're through this like specifics of food, I think is an easy way to talk about that, but I feel like a lot of universal truth in what you're saying this, I don't know, like sometimes I get frustrated that I'm not a robot, which maybe sounds silly, but oh, this, I do too. Right? Like, why can't this thing day. worked yesterday or this thing worked totally. two years ago? Why is it not working now? And sort of this, I think I, I, I've been for the past couple of years really evaluating the like capital S self help culture, right? And the way that it's like kind of built on like hacks and systems and like finding the system with the idea that like there's a finish line, like you find the perfect morning routine and then that works for you forever. Right. Or if you just did like these couple of things, like you'll be more productive. And I don't know that I think that things really do change in different periods and different seasons, depending upon what's important. So your uh, kind of commitment to doing that with grace and flexibility and humor, I feel like is like such a necessary thing in so many different areas. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I really made a commitment four years ago or five years ago now um, when I sort of woke up after experiencing a breakdown. And really to say that implies like that my breakdown was some kind of knowing awakening and it like 100% was not. (laughs) It was very messy. I really didn't understand what was going on. But one thing that I started to really understand around that time was that life is spiralic. It does not move in a straight line and everything in me, like, you know, we couldn't have more compassion for that with each other. All of us want to live straight line lives. We want things to make sense. We want things to be just, we want them to be consistent and fair. And I often wish, um, you know, the little one in me or my, you know, my brain is like, oh, I wish I could be a robot. We're just... I could eat anything. Things didn't bother me. And that's just not the vessel I have in this lifetime at all. So it has really, I have found that even in kind of self-help, you know, spiritual, it's quite heroic. It's very linear still, you know, it's like, find this way, stick to this way. Don't variate from this way. And it's like, I think that that is really important because I believe in discipline, but I do also think that the ability to be flexible, some of us just require that, you know, and it takes longer sometimes than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to dig into something you just said. You said four or five years ago, you had a breakdown that changed a lot yeah. of things for you. What do yeah. you mean when you say that? Any more specifics that you want to offer on that? Because I, I know I've heard you talk about that, that um, experience is what birthed you into the work that you're doing now. That's true. Um, basically I didn't understand until later that it was classified as a breakdown and there are lots of different kinds of breakdowns. We could say that some, some people could have a mental breakdown. Some people could have, you know, there's different kinds, um, that really are different. And I had what is known as a nervous breakdown, which is essentially, uh, like your nervous system fries, like you put kind of water on an electrical panel. Um, and it's usually very slow. And for me, it was slow over the course of many years, but it all culminated 
after a very, very strong amount of acute stress related to PTSD. And I was developing, uh, I had anorexia all my life, basically until about that breakdown when I had to make some pretty strong adjustments because I wound up unwittingly, I didn't know this, but getting hypoglycemia. And for anybody who doesn't know this, hypoglycemia can absolutely create all kinds of ideations, all kinds of problems with mental health. So it was just a very slow process where I kept being like, because I struggled my whole life with feeling not functional and pushing through that because I lived with an abuser. My family enabled it. They knew and nobody did anything. And that's not blaming them. That's been worked out. (laughs) Like that's fact. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have even one resource in my ear as a teenager, as a little kid in elementary school, when I was having serious behavioral, clear issues of being abused. I just didn't understand that it was, I thought that I was just crazy. Like I didn't understand that that was all PTSD. I didn't understand that that could be healed. I just didn't get it. I didn't know. And my breakdown was essentially, I went through all these times in my young years of wanting to die and having nobody to talk to about that and just being in the despair and the terror of like, why do I feel these feelings? And, um, it just got so bad in 2014. And I was old enough at the age of 30. I, I didn't have anything. There was nothing in my life. That's in my life now. Nothing. My mentor, my teacher was not in my life. I did not have a therapist. I didn't even have a doctor. Like I had nobody. I was on no medication. It had never worked for me. And I was just kind of in my own rhythm trying to work multiple jobs because I had no money. And I didn't, you know, this is something that people don't talk about. Like I could not afford to really collapse. And even with what I went through, I like had to get back to work after a couple of weeks. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it was not an opportunity. And we didn't have money for me to like go away to a facility. So I just kind of had to work on it as I was working, just trying to take my time. But yeah, it was basically was that. And I didn't really know what it was. I just knew that I really needed a doctor. So kind of how my healing journey began personally was that a couple of days before I got married, because this all happened right around my wedding and was 100% triggered by the fact that my mother, who is the abuser, Um, was in my life a lot more than she usually was. And I was having to like, because there was no honoring of her behavior. So I was having to kind of like pretend everything was cool. And it was like destroying me. And again, I just didn't know any of this. Um, And I happened to find my psychiatrist who is holistic and like put me on amino acid therapy and it saved my life without question. And if anyone you know, I don't want to obviously say like, it will save your life. It will be the thing for you. But I will take this opportunity to say that if anyone listening to this is like me and you're medication resistant, which is that you've been tried on like every drug in the world and it doesn't quite work for you, um, find somebody who does neurotransmitter therapy or amino acid therapy because it for real saved my life and has continued to support me. And there's tons of resources for it online. It, It worked for me. And she, yeah, put me on stuff. It helped so much 
to the degree that it helped to get me off the ledge very quickly, which I was not expecting. And then I just started to work like aggressively, consistently to reprogram. And my mother got cut out of my life basically without a word. And my family, like my wedding was completely the funeral of my previous life because that was the last time I was with my family in a group setting like that. It became very clear that there was still a lot of unresolved anger and resentment and even my wedding like was completely not who I am. It was like everything that I thought would make other people happy. And once I kind of crossed the threshold of that, everything changed. And even while I was healing and still very tender, a couple months into that very tender healing place, I got the opportunity to read in the store for the first time. And I'm convinced that that is really, I mean, it was all meant to be, I know that it was, but that was what really helped me to serve while I was healing. And as I've healed, my service has gotten, the container has gotten bigger. So it's really been this, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a trip, (laughs) but it changed everything. I mean, it really did like, um, in ways that I can't even describe because I was unknowingly for all those years, not choosing myself and my situation mentally, emotionally, and physically became so extreme that my boundaries just became better as a result of saying like, if there's one more push of this button, I might fall off the ledge. So I have to take the button away completely. Like Mm -hmm. you're just out of my life period. And it wound up being the best thing I ever did. So it was a very extreme situation, like full on Saturn return, but it was really just a nervous collapse that took years to heal. And I was working while I was healing it, but cause I don't have a choice, you know, and that, that worked for me to do both cause I love my work, but, um, yeah, it was a crazy situation. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. Thank you for being honest about that. It's so interesting, sure. like to condense something that was like multiple years of our lives, right. <laughs> like of your mm-hmm. life into something that's like, okay, I can talk about this for a couple minutes. And I feel like it's always like interesting to be witness to that because it's like, we're making sense of our story for someone else. And also there's like so many threads in that, right. I feel like yes. there's six different things that you mentioned at least that could take up the next two hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, totally. but you know, a couple things in particular, one, the, this idea that sure, it might've been lovely to be able to take all of this time off and focus exclusively on healing. And I'd say, you know, for a lot of folks, that's not a financial reality. Right. And so the fact that you spoke about that, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more because again, I mean, I know I mentioned this in the skincare thing of like being sort of all or nothing. I'm either going to, you know, wash my face perfectly every morning and every night, or I'm not going to do it at all. I think that healing things can sometimes be similar, right? Like I have all these resources to dedicate to therapy and, you know, this kind of spiritual thing, or I don't have those resources. So everything's going to stay the same and I'm going to do nothing. And I, I think that's really common. So I'd love to hear some specific of like what it looked like for you to continue to do the realities, like the necessary realities of your life while also making space for this work? Yeah. I love that you asked me that question because I, I will say one thing for myself. I am a 
massively resourceful person. And again, did have been dealing with working and I would use the word battling. I no longer have any relationship to that. My life feels very much in support of even my continual trauma flare-ups and like my life is now built to work with that. But I worked as a nanny for years. I worked I had three jobs for years and was in school and like had to go to school when I could barely exist when things were so bad. So I've always, um, you know, I think how you do it is you just have a completely open heart to any resource that you can. And, you know, there are times for things and there are times that like there've been times, um, when, I had to just work on soothing rather than working through. So there were many years where I was working where it was like when the baby napped, I was watching the office and trying to take a nap. And then there were other times when like I was doing Tara Brock meditations about like honoring the inner child while the baby slept, (laughs) you know, and like moving through a full thing. So I think like you, you get resourceful if, you, you know, you work with what you've got, but I don't know, like, I, you know, I hesitate to say this. I haven't always like, cause I just want to be so sensitive because I know that this is not available, but, um, there was in speaking about this situation, it really was life or death. And even in life or death, I still had to like turn to my husband who, you know, m- my husband, had better credit than me. He had like, I've had to work for decent credit. He really didn't. But like, I had to turn to my husband and basically be like, we're putting this on your credit card and I'm going to work out how to pay for it later because I don't have an option. And he was like, yeah, okay. Because we didn't have it. There was no way. So if he hadn't been able to do that, I would have like called my grandmother and basically been like, this is an emergency. But I think when those things that are not necessarily life or death come up, I think it's just really about touching into your heart about what it is that you really need in that moment. And if you really, really need it, even if it's tough, it will eventually come. I just think like, I don't know if I'm really giving like an eloquent answer. I just feel like my healing has always been my highest priority. And I for forever, since I was making my own money, it went to therapy before happy hour, always, like it always went to something that could help me. It was often sliding scale. It was often like, not a lot of money. But I think that if you're willing to get creative, and if you're willing, because I've had multiple doors closed on my face, multiple people that I've called in my 20s, when I was like, in the worst situation mentally, and they were just like, we I can't afford to, I, I can't take you. My rates are too high where I would be turned away where I'd call someone and be like, can you see me? Can you do sliding scale? And they would be like, no, you have to kind of just keep going and be like, okay, you know, I do not have this resource right now, but there are other resources. And if I'm willing to go as gently as I can and as slow as I can, and while understanding that this is really hard, I'm going to get what I need and keep putting the intention out there. This could possibly be easier one day. And I think the more that you reach for that, 
the easier it gets to find what you need when you need it. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's like something that I'm getting from what you're saying, especially around this idea of like being open and being resourceful is like not overly attaching to like what form the healing has to come in. This idea that like maybe there isn't like a best thing, right? Like I think sometimes we can get stuck in like, what's the best way for me to handle this? Like what's the best resource? And like, I don't know that there is one necessarily, right? The like being willing to be open to like what's in front of you, right? And kind of go from there. And, you know, I'll I'll say this for further context, just briefly that hell yeah to everything you just said. And I will also say, I have been looking for an EMDR therapist since I was basically 16 years old and I'm almost 35. I could never find one. They were never the right fit ever. And I just, just like last month, found the right person, started going. And I understand why I didn't before, because it's really intense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, I, even last month, it was not exactly the perfect right time for me to be doing that level of shaking up. And I understand it. I needed, my work has just changed. I've just gone, I've stopped doing readings I was not really able to have like five bad days after EMDR, five hard days because I had clients. It wasn't really available to me. So I was really blessed with not actually finding someone until it was the right time for me. And I think even a part of me wasn't ready to do that. I thought I was, but I wasn't. So, and in the hands of the wrong person, it probably would have put me off of it forever. So it really is like, it's not um, to say that people who are listening to this who desperately desire to work with someone like, I I trust that if you're feeling that desperate, passionate desire, like it will come. But I really think like in my personal experience, it, it comes when you're ready. And sometimes when you think you're ready, the body's not ready. Mm-hmm. So it really, it, like, I totally want to like uplift what you just said that I think we can get healing in the exact right way. And sometimes we just have to be creative about it and believe that it could actually be simpler than we think. Yeah. I'd like to ask you a question about your marriage Um, because you mentioned, you know, kind of turning to him and saying, hey, we're going to put this on your credit card, right? Just like as one specific example. (laughs) I'm really interested how – people go through big changes or big evolutions like with a partner that they are then still with on the other side of that because from my own personal experience that has never been the case like if i pinpoint mm. kind of the biggest transitions or evolutions that i have had oftentimes the partner that i was with, you know, then is no longer in my life in that same capacity on the other side of that. And so I'm interested to hear literally like anything that you want to share about that um, mm-hmm. would be awesome. Well, I, I think it might be that my husband also is a rapid evolver and is really down to, like, I really think it's been that he's just come with me. Like Mm. every time I evolve, he says, okay, I'll come too. Because there have been times when I have evolved and he's not. And 
there have been like a, a number of times in the 10 years we've been together where I've kind of been like, Hey, like, are you, are you coming? Is that, or are you still coming, you know, with me in, in your own way? And we just had a conversation about that like two days ago about something that we, we went through a huge experience last year that was a major trauma that was kind of shared, although not to each other, we experienced it together. And we're still totally on the journey of kind of being like, where are we after this? And, you know, I think it really is about, I've always been completely okay with the possibility that he might not come with me Mm. because I don't, yeah, like I'm completely okay with that. And I am in a position right now where my healing time is just taking a lot longer with the experience that we had last year than I expected. And we're just always talking about that. Like, do you feel okay with this? Are you feeling frustrated with this? And thus far it's been okay. But yeah, I mean, it's just about like that flexibility of being like, if you're not going to come with me, like let's definitely part. Cause I don't want to keep you here if you don't want to be here <laughs> and I'm not slowing down for you. So, I mean, it, it really has been that it's just happened to be that we've evolved together and it's been great. But it, there have been times when it's just been just about communication, willingness. And thus far, it's been something where he's come with me. Yeah, I'm thinking, first of all, the honesty around that is like amazing. You know, this idea that, hey, I don't expect it you know, that he's always going to come with me. There's like something yeah. sort of non-grasping in that that really resonates with me, right? Because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is you can like try to force it and it still wouldn't work, you know, necessarily. Exactly. So, yeah. but it's like to think about, you know, I think you said you're almost 35, right? To have been with this person for 10 years. Like if I think about, um, and I'm a couple years younger than you, but who I was at 25, like, oh my God, I feel like I'm like an entirely different person than I was when I was 25. And yeah. so, yeah, just like doing that growth, like side by side with someone I feel like is, yeah, that's super interesting. I'm curious if there's any one specific that you'd be willing to share of like something that helps you guys, whether it's like, you know, what's not like the secret weapon in your relationship necessarily, but is there like a tool that you go back to or a thing that you've kind of carved out together that you're like, this actually in like a very tangible, like day-to-day way is helpful for us? If there is, I'm not aware of it, which I know is not very helpful, um, but I'm going to try to really consider. I think the thing that we come back to again and again is that we both met as creatives. We met when we were co-running a theater company. He had started this theater company with a writer in New York who he went to college with. And I came in and became a member of that company. We started dating pretty soon after that. And there has always been a bedrock in our relationship of unconditional support and respect for change because we're both artists in our own way. And so I think that it's always felt really natural for us. Like, for example, I'm doing this recording with you from Arizona, and that was a trip that I felt called to take. 
And he has been in a massive, amazing creative flow with his animation and artwork. And there were uh, multiple discussions about how it was really important to both of us that we make absolutely sure that he wasn't cutting that off to come with me on this trip. So it's always like that comes before anything. So any time that I've sort of been propelled into a direction, he's very supportive of that, even if he doesn't necessarily understand. <laughs> and he and is the same for me. And that just extends with both of us into like, if I'm really moving through something very big emotionally, usually there's a lot of patience from him. And if he is moving through a time, there's a lot of compassion from me. So there's always just been this, um, like we don't feel like we have to do the same things. I'm not, there's no expectation from the other person at all. And I think that that has been like, we have expectations of each other, but not to like be riding on the same path all the time. So I think that extension of respect and courtesy is in there and um, nothing is demanded ever. So I think like that is something we return to all the time that has helped both of us really honestly gauge over the last 10 years. Are we still excited to be in this marriage? Are we still growing in this marriage? And thus far it's been like, absolutely. But there have totally been times when I've been like, I actually don't know if I'm interested in still being married to you. And then we discuss that. And then uh, thus far we've shifted into continuing to be together in a whole new way. But yeah, I don't know tools, but it's cool because like, we're just at a place where we've realized that we're really excited to start going to occasional counseling sessions together. And that feels amazing to me because we are kind of at this place of major, um, it's like beautiful, like for real, where we realize like in one teeny little area of our relationship, we have completely exhausted our resources on how to try to understand how to talk to each other. <laughs> so we've just realized like, oh, we need, we totally need a mediator. And I've just been looking at like nonviolent communication classes uh, that maybe we can take together. So I share that to be like, I think it's a great thing. And so does he, because it's not a problem. It just really is like in order to go to the next level, we're both really willing to do that. But mm -hmm. there were years where he was not or years when that wasn't something that I thought I had to do or whatever it is. So, you know. Yeah. It's so funny how you started off by saying, I don't know that we have any like tools and everything you just shared was like such good wisdom. <laughs> so like sometimes <laughs> we don't cool. know how wise we are with <laughs> yeah. our own stuff. Um, I think that's true. I mean, if there's one, like, I think the word tool, you know, can be interpreted different ways, but like the one thing that I hear coming out of everything you're saying is that you are both like that you both share a willingness to reevaluate. Absolutely. And I think it's funny, like going back even to the beginning of the conversation, talking about self-care, talking about habits, you know, how the thing that works in one season might not work in another season. Like I hear that coming out of what you're saying right now too, that, you know, the communication tactics, maybe that were really successful for you five years ago, aren't working, or maybe they weren't really working then, but you weren't ready to deal with it. And so now, okay, cool. Exactly. Let's go to someone to help us. Like this idea, and like, I think it's really helpful to have honesty around this topic, even just from one person and they 
their, you know, one relationship because I think it underscores, one, that we don't have all the answers and that it's not this static thing, right? It's not like, well, you got married and like it worked well enough to get married. So then it just like continues chugging along the same thing forever. And maybe that is true for some folks, not not anyone that I know, um, but, you know, this idea that there is continued reinvestment, like there is like nothing wrong with getting help and continuing to ask those questions. And does this marriage still excite me? Like sort of breaking the taboo mm. of, you know, this is my marriage forever. This is my career forever, right? Like things can yes. change. Yes, exactly. And like, yes, I'm so glad that I had tools in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So um, pivoting into your work a little bit, when someone asks you what you do, how do you explain it? So I just say I'm an intuitive tarot teacher. That's what I say. I would like to ask you a little bit more about the word intuitive, because I think that's one of those words that everyone knows what it means and maybe doesn't know what it means, right? Like I understand what you're saying when you say that. And like in, I don't know, maybe more of like a practical reality, like what does that mean to you? So that's, I feel like that's such a great question because I think that is as, I think that the next person who maybe has similar gifts might call themselves something really different. But to me, what that means is, um, it is referring to the kind of radio station of truth and source that we are all tapped into and that some of us don't always turn up the volume on. So that to me literally defines the word intuitive, the knowing of things without necessarily needing to quantify or understand why or how we know them. And the willingness to investigate whether or not it is an assumption rather than a knowing. But when I refer to myself as that, it is that I hear voices in my ear <laughs> and in my body and have current and frequency run through my body often that doesn't belong to me. And I either work with it or clear it. And that guidance, uh, part of the reason why I call myself an intuitive is that, you know, I think that a lot of us, everybody on the planet is intuitive, is capable of accessing intuition, has that as a birthright. Not everybody considers themselves or even is an intuitive. And to me, that means like, is part of your dharma to walk through and offer things based on what you're getting in your channel. And it's also hard to be an intuitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like just uh, a very specific skill set. So that's basically in a nutshell what it means to me. Yeah. It sounds, you know, you mentioned just briefly, you know, meeting your husband working at a theater company, it sounds like you had very much a career in life before this work. Oh yeah. Um, was it... Uh, what's the question that I'm trying to ask? I'm interested in the process of sort of stepping into like claiming that title, for example, or right. Like doing, doing this work, like with the authority that you just shared, like I, you know, when you said, this is what I do. Um, what was that like? That was years of repeated delayering because I didn't know that I was until after my breakdown, when I started to work with my teacher who saw me for what I was on our first session, when I saw her like curled up in the fetal position, she said, you know, up among many things, but I remember her mentioning at the end of the session, when I 
probably said something like, I just feel like this is going to be forever. We were not talking about work. Tarot was not a part of my life in terms of work thing at that point. She was like, you will be up speaking to people. She was like, you can't get away from that. You're a teacher and you are an intuitive. And one day you'll know that. And she was always holding the space for me because I just didn't understand that kind of all these composite pieces were part of the power that I had as an intuitive and had always had from a little girl that I had no clue. Like I wanted to be an actor. And that was another way of kind of channeling and like getting inside something like wanted to be an actor. It was a wonderful distraction from the horrors of my home life. Theater made me really happy. I also always knew I had gifts with helping people. I always knew that I could be a therapist because I was always very good at listening, at talking, at giving advice. I got my first tarot deck at 12. Didn't understand. <laughs> just did not put it together at all until post breakdown. Again, that was just the threshold of a lifetime, but just, I didn't get it. I, even when I was giving readings all through middle school, high school, college, I did not understand that I had any kind of gift. I have memories of hearing my guides and just assuming that it was like me. And now when I look back, I'm like, Oh no, there, that was, that was them being louder than they usually were. But that was, I was receiving something from my inner kind of higher connection. And Oh God, it like took forever mm -hmm. because it was just the honoring of something like I, I, my story is kind of like, it's definitely, you want to talk about spiralic. Like I wanted to be an actor. I went to college to be an actor. I came to New York. I did weird theater, which was exactly the kind of theater I wanted to do. I completely fell out of love with it. I was working all the time, but completely stopped loving it um, around age 27 and quit my theater company and kind of stopped doing theater like right away. I just knew I was finished with it. And around the exact same time, I went to school to be a health coach. And I realized that I wanted to help people who had anxiety with their food and their diet. And did that and had a wellness practice in Manhattan with a yoga teacher for a little while and like total like ragtag operation. Like we were just like hustling and making it happen. We like operated out of her apartment, but something was missing. I didn't have any, I, I wasn't doing any spiritual, any intuitive work I was just like clean, cold health coaching, which by the way, Health coaching is not clean and cold, but that's sort of the way I was doing it because I wasn't really in touch with my own style. And then at, I just kept feeling like, again, I was missing something, missing something. And then again, after my breakdown, it all changed. And my teacher came into my life. Tarot came back into my life in this way that was completely unexpected. I quit the wellness practice because I couldn't, that was another piece of my life that had to go. And, um, it all started to like bloom up in my face. It bloomed up before I could catch up with it. It was like my readings were consistent. They were powerful. I was hearing things that I couldn't understand. I, it took me forever to hear my own guides. It took a lot of practice to lower my brain volume down to hear them and understand how they spoke through me. It was really, it's different for everybody. 
but it happened so fast. And I feel like it's just because part of the breakdown was also like, I could no longer deny that gift anymore. Mm -hmm. I could no longer not, I could no longer live in the world without having that be a part of my everyday. I didn't know that, but now I can look at that later. So, oh my God, it took forever. And it was to the point where I would put it on my website, like, you know, I was doing intuitive tarot readings, but I struggled with it privately and worked, knew what I could do, but it, I think any intuitive who tells you that they don't go through that is lying. Mm -hmm. It really is hard to trust, like, am I a fraud? Is this like coincidence? And like, there was never a doubt. Like I can look back, the evidence is so clear. And yet I just had a really hard time understanding that this was a gift I possessed because it's not, I don't have a flashy gift. Like I don't, not a medium. I'm not an animal communicator. I don't, my gift is really very clean and clear and strong, but it's like, if you want guidance on what is here, I got you. If you want guidance on the truth of your soul, I got you. But it took me a really long time to be like, just because Mary Magdalene doesn't come through my channel doesn't mean I'm not intuitive. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it was just like, not only took me a long time to get over that kind of imposter syndrome, but it was also made me very passionate. Um, It's become something I feel very passionate about with my students as well. Like your intuitive gifts might not look like what's advertised as someone's intuitive gifts. And like part of the uh, reclamation process is to kind of like put away titles, labels, you're clairvoyant, you hear ghosts, like you might not do any of that. But if you can come back to the way that that essence flows through you, you'll know exactly where to point your compass. So it just took forever, you know? Mm. Yeah. I think that's such a powerful reminder that, you know, it's so, I think it's really natural to want to fit into the archetype or the box, or we've been told that, you know, this is what it means to be, you know, whatever, to be an entrepreneur, to be a parent, to be an Mm -hmm. intuitive, right? Like we have these pictures that were either told to us or given to us through pop culture or, you know, whatever assumptions. And sometimes elements of that resonate and sometimes they don't. So sort of like the permission that you're saying of like, make some space around that. It might look really different, which doesn't mean that it's less real. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I'm interested in more of the like logistical business side of what you just started talking about, because sure. I think it's interesting, you know, to look at someone like you that has worked really hard to build a successful business, like, you know, essentially on your own, that it's easy to forget that that took time or like what the steps are, right? Like to see the gap between, okay, you know, you're working with your teacher for the first time. She's the one who tells you, right? That like, this is what's going to happen. You're picking tarot back up. Like then what, like what were the early next steps of building this business? Well, building the business. So the steps were unplanned, but basically it was, an extremely natural progression from one step to the other. And that has continued. So I got an opportunity to read tarot in a store. I loved it. They loved me. The store in Brooklyn was like, can you come back and do this a couple times a week? And I was like, absolutely I can. So on nights and weekends after my day job, 
I was always in that store. And I started to practice. And really, because it is very different for anybody who doesn't read tarot or does read tarot, because sometimes people who read need to hear this too, that you can kind of pick up a card and read for a friend. You can pick up a card and read for yourself. But when you're sitting in front of a stranger, even if you know what you're doing, it takes practice to get really good at accepting your client with whatever they come in with, sister wound stuff, regular wound stuff, skepticism, where you just build a skin to be like, it's all okay. As long as you're here and you're willing, then we can do this. So it offered me the best primer and I'm an extremely hard worker. I'm a hustler. So I just did it as often as I could when I could, I did not care if I made any money. I wanted to, but what <laughs> there wasn't a lot in it. Cause it was like 20 bucks a reading and I just did it as often as I could and made sure that that happened. And then there was a wellness practice in Brooklyn called Maha Rose that I completely randomly, again, complete fate. Like, I think just like the store, uh, just like the shop that I was reading in, right when I things were starting to get, like when I was basically starting to outgrow the store, Maha Rose one reader dropped out of their holiday bazaar, which is this big thing. And there are a lot of readers that go there and kind of do their thing. And I came in and like did like, I think like seven full readings that night. People loved me. I loved them. And that was a big, well, it is a big wellness practice. And especially at the time it was like my dream to do things there. And like that night they were like, we'd love to have you as a practitioner in the space. And pretty much two days after that, the owner of the store was like, I kind of think we've reached our natural conclusion with this relationship. And then I just started working at Maha Rose. So it was this upgrade. And the more I did that, then I started to practice kind of like teaching and working at events. And then Eventually, my practice got to the point where I decided to kind of take the leap out of Maharos and just work out of my house and basically keep everything that I make. And I built business by being, you know, consistent, as good as I could be, as kind as I could be, as professional as I could be, of course, and also um, offering a lot of different options. So there were classes, there were rituals, there were workshops, there were private ways of teaching. Like I taught privately and always did free things. And at the time that was daily Instagram posts. Now it's my podcast. Like I've always had a free offering that's been very generous to people so that if they cannot afford me, they can get medicine in some other way. But that's just kind of highlights. Like that has happened multiple times in my business where I feel the edge and then I just jump off of it. And I feel the edge and I just jump off of it because I can't really exist on the edge like that. I would much rather lose clients than like not. And in fact, I could go into much greater detail about other subtleties like refunding like almost $15,000 over the winter because I had gotten all of these client bookings six months prior. And then by the time I got to the point where I was going to work with them, my health was in a point was in a place where it wasn't really appropriate for me to be uh, working with people. But also I knew that I was complete with readings. So I will always rather refund, take the leap, take the chance, even if it's a tremendous amount of money, than do something that doesn't feel like it's in alignment. I have never not trusted that ever. 
Yeah, I can personally relate to that a lot. So two yeah. particular transition or pivot points um, that you just mentioned that I'd like to ask you about. Um, so you mentioned mm-hmm. when you were first doing the readings at the store that you were, you know, you'd work your day job and then you would go and do that. How long approximately did it take until you quit your day job? I started to give readings in the store in September or October. I can't remember which. I think it was early October of 2014. And I quit my day job in August of 2015. So it was very fast. Yeah. I mean, fast and also not overnight, right? Like I think sometimes there's this myth of like, (laughs) just like leap and the net will appear, which goes back to what we were talking about, about um, the practical realities of healing and what's available to you and what are your financial resources, you know, that like, yes, that's quick. And it's not like you were like, okay, I'm just done with this. You know, again, not that there's anything wrong with that approach if that is what works for someone. But I think for a lot of people, there is like this practical reality of you're doing two things at the same time and you like figure out a way, made it a way to make that work. And then even when you do take the leap, it's still really scary. And It's the scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Yeah, totally. What were you scared of? I mean, I had no safety net at all. So it was a fear of not eating. (laughs) It was like literally a fear of survival. And it was also the fear that what if this doesn't work out, then what what will I do? Because I didn't know anything else that made me as happy. So it was a fear that, um, obviously a moot point, but it was this tremendous fear of, you know, it takes a lot of guts to put yourself all into something that you really want to do, even in spite of your inner voice kind of being like, well, what if it doesn't work? You should always have a backup plan because really what's underneath that when the time is right, not necessarily when you'd be in financial straits, but when all the doors are open, when all the windows are open and the gr- and the light is green, you still like everyone assumes that that'll be really simple. And it's not true because what really is underneath that, and I know you know this, Nicole, is that you have to deal with, you have to confront the intensity of choosing your soul's yes. Mm. And that is the scariest thing. That was much scarier than money. Because again, I, I have always, even when I was getting fired, I was like on food stamps for a while in my twenties. When I first moved to New York, I have always made it happen. I believe in my ability because I will, I'm any kind of work is an honor. I'll do whatever. As long as it resonates with me, I'm not above any job and have worked multiple jobs for most of my life. So I was not concerned about my ability to land on my feet because I knew if it didn't work out, I would just get a part-time job or something. But I really wanted to have it work. And I was very committed to putting my all into it working. And I just worked my ass off for years. Yeah, I'm still working my ass off, but it's easier work because there's been foundation laid. Um, yeah. I mean, it was so scary. Yeah. So the other, um, it sounds like big transition point that you mentioned that I wanted to ask about, um, is that you stopped doing readings, right? Which I'm curious, especially since it sounds like that was the foundational part of getting this started to begin with. I'm always curious, like, what that type of type of evolution looks like for someone, right? That you feel like uh, I've outgrown this or for any reason I have to have boundaries around this. Like I, I imagine there was maybe some grappling with that decision. I don't want to make oh, assumptions, sure. but can you talk about that? 
Yeah, you know, and in some ways, I think I'm still wrapping my head around it all. So, you know, my words, I don't know, but I, my readings, I have always loved teaching. So I have a very particular style of teaching that came from my own work with the tarot through my healing journey. And I love to teach and it brings me so much joy and readings. And this is probably one of the most vulnerable things I've ever said have always been a struggle. Mm. Even though I like them, even though I like the exchange, even though I love working with the tarot, I'm kind of shy <laughs> and physically inconsistent. So I will be in pain one day. I'll feel contracted another day. I have a headache the next day. I, it's part of the journey of my body. I'm a physically inconsistent person. So there was always a level of stress with trying to appear like buttoned up and ready that never fit with my personality. It's just not ever, I'm never going to be that person that's going to be ready to go at the same time at the same day. Um, I also get extremely bored with routine and there was a lot of routine involved in that. But the big thing that really changed it, I think this is my best guess for now because I often have to really wait to understand some of the knowings that I have. But, um, I went through an experience where I got a medical diagnosis about something in December of 2017. I was kind of, I had, it's a little confusing, so I won't go into the details, even though maybe it, the details would be more interesting, but basically found out that I had, when I was 19, I had a, kind of an issue with something neurological that I was told was an unruptured aneurysm. And I was told by a neurologist when I was 19, like, it's so small, it will go away. It's not a big deal because I had to get an angiogram, whatever. So when I, in December of 2017, I was having these very intense stress-related headaches. I was having bilateral headaches. My pupils were different sizes. My eyelid was drooping. And basically, long story short, found out that like this aneurysm was not only like bigger, but still present and very significant. And that it was an, an area in my brain that could not be operated on. So it's basically just something that's there. And I've done so much work. Like I actually legitimately think of it as like probably one of the most intensely generous, beautiful teachers of my life. But that was the beginning because I was, even though technically it is stable, it's there, it's present you have to keep an eye on it, but most of those symptoms have gone away. It still charted me down a completely different path where I started to work with death stuff and really honoring, accepting, bowing to the inevitability of my own mortality. And that was in December, 2017. And this actually, I stopped doing readings in December of 2018, just a couple months ago. So it was really a full year cycle. The first thing that came up for me upon this diagnosis, I made sweeping changes as a result of trying to uh, honor what I needed to work through the shock of it. The shock, because I didn't even know it was in there, thought it had gone away. But um, the first thing that came up for me was like, I do not want to do readings anymore. 
which was very surprising because I don't think I had ever even thought that I had an option. So I didn't really let myself think of it. And from that day forward, readings were an immense struggle. And it took so much work for me to get into the headspace of like gratitude, appreciation, joy. And I don't think any of my clients felt that. And it's not that I didn't love my clients. I love my clients. And I also don't want anyone who's ever my client to listen to this and be like, oh, Lindsay didn't like want to see me. It was never that. It was just that I was trying to be open and to respond to the gift and the blessings of having very full books and like obvious money coming in. But I, it, it took a full year for me to really trust that I could make money just by teaching. And then I had to do another complete leap of faith. I didn't know that it could be and thus far it's been working. But that was the start. And it was a little bit of a surprise that that was one of the first things that I was like, if I died tomorrow, I would not want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And so it took a year. And then I had another unfortunate kind of health flare up about something completely different in the winter that I fully believe just came up to get me to cancel everybody yep. because it, it was just like, because once I did it, it went away. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it was just like, but now I understand it because I'm no longer tied to anything. I'm completely free. I can do my work from anywhere in the world. I'm actually making more money and it's perfect timing because again, last year between that diagnosis and some other physical issues that came up last year, it was a very intense year for like unexpected medical stuff. And I'm for sure working through the trauma and the PTSD from just last year. And I don't really have the space to hold anyone in that way anymore. So I feel like I've gotten a lot of my energy back and my life back and not to go on for 25 minutes, but because of that aneurysm diagnosis, I've always worked with the tarot, not fixed on the future. But when you have something in your brain that could kill you at any minute, you completely change your perception of what it is to even ask for that kind of assurance. Mm -hmm. And I found myself not having anything to say to people who would come in like wanting answers because I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you because something changed in me. That was just like, it's like my personal life forced me to accept something that felt unacceptable. And so then it became harder for me to drop into the desire that my clients had to know something. Mm -hmm. And it became more and more intolerable for me. And it, it went more and more against the grain of my evolution and I noticed that I started to even get angry when I was asked. And I always pay attention to that, of course. And is anger such good information? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's just no longer appropriate. And there are other people who are so hungry and can take these people further. It's time for you to step down and do something different. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the very long story of it. Yeah, it was a crazy journey. It really was. But everything in my life happens that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's never like simple. Like I made the decision and then da, 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 da. it's always like something happens. And then a year later, I'm in the position to kind of turn it around and I kind of understand it. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when you were talking about um, like immediately post-diagnosis, the thing that came up for you was, you know, I need to be done doing these readings. And yeah. then it still took a full year. Something that I, I think about and I talk about a lot is for me, the value of like self-inquiry and honesty just for the sake of honesty, not necessarily for the sake of action. Like for a long time, I would lie to myself or not address things because I thought that as soon as I acknowledged the truth that I had to do something about it. And that felt really scary. And so it was easier to just like numb out and not acknowledge the things. And it wasn't until I created space between there's value in letting what's true be true and knowing what's true, even if you never take action or you don't take action yet, or like making those essentially like two separate things and like letting the action take whatever the time frame is that it takes. I still feel like it's always worthwhile for me to, even if I don't share it with anybody else, like within myself to know what's true. That is one of the wisest things I feel like I've ever heard articulated ever in my life. And you're, <laughs> and I, I could never, I, I mean, the way you just put that was so gorgeous and helpful. And yes, like that is exactly correct and appropriate. Like I used to say to my husband, like in the year that like in 2018, I felt like I was trying to put the brakes on an old steam engine. There were so many steps to shutting that part of my work down. Like there was a change in hours. There was no more weekends. Then there was a shift to not doing any more in-person readings. And then it was like, you know, prioritizing taking breaks and, you know, it was, you know, taking a couple months off or taking sabbaticals, you know, which I played with a little bit in 2018. It, It was it took such a long time for me to basically get to the point where it felt like a fairly clean shutdown. And even then it was a little like, whoa, you know, the train kind of wobbled a bit, but yeah, I mean, I'm still working on what you're talking about because I'm an Aries. And a lot of the time when I feel like I get an idea in my head, I want to do it immediately. Hmm. So sometimes it's hard for me to, to be like, it's okay to know and not do anything. You know, so I, I'm so sinking, like drinking your words in. It's so beautiful. Mm, thanks. Okay. I am personally really new to tarot and it was through mm-hmm. my like interest in that really just in the last couple of months that that's how I wound up finding your work. I would love for you to share maybe a couple of myths or misconceptions that you think exist about tarot. Oh, I have so many. Okay. <laughs> Uh, tarot does not predict the future. So that I want to debunk that myth right now. You also cannot, it has nothing to do with demons and it has nothing to do with evil. And it's not a portal to something quote dark, uh, which I think is a pretty outdated term in terms of talking about helpful energy versus not helpful energy. Like ideally we do not want to call that dark energy. It's pretty offensive, but it's definitely not a portal to anything unsavory. The death card doesn't mean death. It's not literal very often. The tarot does not, you don't need to receive your deck anyway. You don't need to be given your deck by someone else to read. You don't need to steal it. That's also another myth that you have to steal your deck. (laughs) You don't need to have come from a lineage of readers to read. You don't have to be psychic to be a tarot reader. You don't even need to consider yourself an intuitive. The tarot 
there are no bad or scary cards. It's really all medicine. Even the cards like the lovers don't really have anything to do with human loving relationships as a whole. It's much more subtle and holistic. Other people can touch your tarot deck. <laughs> it's not going to pick up their energy. Um, and there are no rules. There are sincerely no rules. You get to do whatever you want with your deck and your deck will meet you halfway. Mm. So do you have, you. yeah, no, I love all of those. Um, do you have any suggestions for someone like me who is new and potentially feels a little bit like overwhelmed and intimidated by like this whole like wealth of new information and thing that I have never done before? Totally. So my, my, um, biggest piece of advice to you, to anyone who's a newbie, um, get a deck that you really resonate with. Really. Don't just get a deck that you think will be good to learn on. Cause you can always learn on like, you can always learn like super hardcore theoretical stuff later. The point is that you want to create a bond with your deck and you want that bond to really feel like a partnership, kind of like finding your wand in Harry Potter or like having a dog, having a pet. You really want it to feel like that. And it is a little bit like a dating process where we don't always find the, the deck that's our match right away. Sometimes we have to go through a couple. Um, the other thing that I would say is work on finding a guidebook. Maybe if you're lucky, you're working with a deck that really resonates with you. And there's a guidebook with that deck that really flows for you. Um, work on finding a piece of material that can help support your learning that really speaks to you. There are 80 bazillion people from YouTube to blogs, to Instagram, to online courses, to published books that every, there's something for everybody out there. So I would say like, be willing to be like a little bit of a detective, be willing to like find your niche and then drop in and completely explore and mm -hmm. get intimate with that deck. And then I would say expand beyond the bounds of that and start thinking about like, Oh, what are the more classical decks? What do they mean versus my deck? Because it's only going to help to reinforce your knowledge or empower you to say, Oh, I don't agree with that. I like it better in my deck, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's really about kind of finding your own road or pathway in that is significant and supportive to you rather than kind of like what someone would do or what this person would do. It's really like, um, cause tarot is an interpretive art. It's meant to come through everyone a little differently. So you basically have to find an interpreter that speaks your language. I'm really curious about what it looks like for you to use tarot as a tool in your like real messy daily life. And maybe this is just like my own block, but there always seems to be some kind of a disconnect for me with spiritual teachings or practices, like a, a block that sort of keeps them separate from my day-to-day -day life somehow. I, I, I don't know. I'd love for you to talk about like what that integration looks like for you personally. Absolutely. So I understand how you can feel that you have kind of a block with like using it in the everyday. So here's what I would say to potentially pave that road so that it feels a little easier. Tarot is really, it really shines as a tool 
to help us come back to the truth of this moment. So in terms of usage of it in our everyday life, one simple, beautiful, effective way to come to it, perhaps every day, perhaps not, is when we feel contracted or identified, or if we're moving through something where we feel like, you know, it seems like there's kind of something happening inside of me and I don't maybe have the languaging, I don't quite perceive what that might be. Tarot can help if we come to it with the question, just letting us really sink in, calling upon whatever wisdoms we might work with, even if it's just the higher vision, higher voice within us. And just simply having a moment to say, you know, I want to draw a card that really reflects the truth of this moment, what I'm being invited to pay attention to right now. Mm. And if we just kind of let the card that really wants to come out, like if we just kind of feel with our hands, we don't even need to do any techniques, just whatever card feels right lights up in our hand. We just pull that and then we hang out with it. And then that's how we learn. That's how we can say like, oh, wow, you know, hanged man. I wonder why. Like, what is it about hangman? And then we might go to a couple different sources or we might hang out with our own understanding of it. We might read something and say, oh, it really doesn't resonate with me, but let me drop into what I think. I don't use tarot every day at all. I only use it when I need to recenter, period. Like it is a tool that I call upon when I am not in my center, when I'm not sure of what's true. And it is so good. It is so receptive and perceptive for that. If I use it every day, I get a little bit too muddled in the details. Sometimes I'm like, okay, and I don't quite understand. But if I come to it when I need it, then it really helps. But daily, I would say that that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like especially at the beginning if you're trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That feels very approachable. Um, it's interesting to hear you share that it's not something that's daily for you and that it's more of a, you know, coming back to center. And I know that you, something else that you do is use tarot as a healing tool for you I know do. healing trauma. And like you said, coming back to center in difficult moments. Can you um, maybe give some examples of how that's worked in your life? Yeah. So um, I don't know that I can give specific examples of a time when like I use tarot and it helped to turn me around or, you know, because it happens every time I use it. Right. Yeah. That there is an illumination. What I will say is that even the ability to know that it could be used as a tool that way was something I kind of stumbled upon by accident. Like nobody taught me that technique. Now that's not to say I invented that technique because I think most people do and they're not quite aware of what it is that they're doing or they're teaching it in their own way. But in the midst of my PTSD, again, with like, I did not have enough money to be seeing people all the time. I was like in work days when I needed a lot of support, when I didn't really feel like I could access that center within. And it was an incredible anchor to get to say, you know, can I pull a card that helps me to understand what's happening in the brain Can I pull a card to help me understand what the invitation into the truth is, feelings versus facts? Can I see that in front of me? And is there an action to take, if at all, or is there something that this is teaching me? So there was really just this really beautiful way that I just asked questions that I really needed the answers to. 
Mm-hmm. And it can be a remarkable healing tool because if we're working with trauma, PTSD, if we're working with anguish, with grief, it can just provide such a gorgeous clarity around the larger picture, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned a while back in the conversation that uh, when you were starting down the path of, oh, okay, like I'm an intuitive, right? Like accepting that and working with mm-hmm. that. I don't remember the exact words that you used, but it was something about like quieting down like your own mind, your own noise in order to like oh, yeah. hear that more, um, right. which is something I'm really curious about. And obviously not that I'm expecting you to have like capital A answers, but this question of like how to get out of your own way or out of your own head to actually be able to... I don't know, like hear that intuition or be able to distinguish between like intuition versus fear. There's like at the beginning, was there something that was helpful for you? Well, I want to just really give a shout out that the person who taught me so much of what has become the deeply rooted foundation for all of this work was my teacher, Michelle Sine, who is a brilliant intuitive. And she really didn't give me much in the way of teaching, which is odd to say on intuition, she would just be like, you just have to be quiet. There's nothing like there are no techniques for me to tell you. You just have to become quiet, ask questions. It goes slowly, but eventually with time, the volume on the brain turns down and the volume on the soul turns up. Mm. And the more you can distinguish that. So I had the gift and, you know, obviously happened on purpose this way so that I could really step into those gifts. But I have learned through experience that and through years of practice is that it is a muscle and it just has to be toned, that you have to return again and again and again to asking a question like, is this in my highest and best? And just really becoming attentive and still breathing through any expectations we might have, or like even bracing like for a yes or no, just like sensing, like, does that happen in my body? Do I feel nothing at all? But do I get clarity later through some sign or do I have a knowing, you know, two minutes after I ask, or do I kind of feel an elevator going up in the body or down in the body, depending on what the answer is. It's just kind of about returning again and again to the lump of clay that you're kind of slowly chiseling out into a sculpture. Um, Some people come into this world and they can like hear spirit in their ear, no fucking problem. Some of us have to do this. And I think most of us are, I think that the former is a little bit more of the exception than the latter. So I think that it's a consistent showing up to the relationship and like actually asking for more clarity, more guidance to hear more. And I think once we start asking, we get a lot more opportunities in the way that's appropriate for us to be practicing to see, you Mm -hmm. know, what are we hearing? What are we not hearing? What are we perceiving? What are we not perceiving? But it just took, I was just very dedicated to like listening, practicing, trying. I had like, I worked with a pendulum for a little while to sort of like check my answers. There were times when I heard yeses and they were absolutely not yeses. And part of it was because like, I wasn't, I hadn't learned yet to qualify who I wanted to hear from. (laughs) So Hmm. I'd get answers from like wherever 
you know, something that was decidedly not committed to telling me the truth. So that's a little bit more like going out into esoterics, but basically you really want to just practice over time, cultivating the ability to get so dropped into yourself that the answer can come up. And now I can do it in a moving car. Like I can do it anywhere where if I have a question, I can perceive the answer to that question. But that's because it took me like hours and hours and years of like silence and hearing nothing and not understanding how that was coming through me for myself to perceive that. For other people, I've never had a problem hearing in plain English loud as can be. For me, it just took me a long time because my brain is noisy as fuck. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's relatable. So I'm going to ask you a more specific question on this just because I'm so fascinated. Like, because everything you're saying makes complete sense, right? Like about getting quiet. And it's funny that like, that's the answer that I don't want to be the answer. Cause like, I don't like it, but you're of course, like, me of neither. course, but so like, what does that look like? Does that look like morning meditation? Does that look like quiet walk? Like, what does that actually, or I guess maybe like you said, now you can drop into it in a moving car. Like, what did it look like at the beginning? Cause I know you mentioned way earlier on in the conversation that like, yes, flexibility and grace are super important, but like discipline is also something that you believe in. Mm-hmm. So I never, I did not ever resonate with a practice. What helped me was, again, tarot, because I always built in guide work to a tarot practice. Not everybody does that. And I want to say that because it is, and I want to speak to like the people in the house who like don't believe in God and don't believe in guides because that tarot's for you too. Like you, we don't need to be there doesn't need to be any kind of dogma or any kind of belief system attached to that. So you can drop in with your deck, go so deep, be so soulful and just say, you know, what is the truth within me that wants to come through for me to see it? Like what is my inner kid want to talk to me about today? You don't need to use this languaging. But for me, I very much wanted my tarot practice to be a way for me to build strengthen, enhance, and expand my intuition. So every time I pulled cards, I would sit like with my deck in my hand and just, you know, say, I want to hear you. I want to understand you. And I want what you have to say to come through this deck so that I can understand you. And that was the way that I started to communicate because I had no framework at all for just sitting in silence and listening. I would try but my brain was too loud and I didn't even know what to do. I didn't even know what I was looking for. But with tarot, it helped to kind of ground and channel that formlessness into something that I could relate to. And it worked because when I would get a card, then there would be this kind of like, it's a little hard to really put it into words, but it would really be this like mystical dialogue that would happen through the day. And the way that my guides also related to me was like, they would whisper different interpretations to me about what a card could be. And that's why some of my interpretations are very unique because I was really using it in my everyday to respond to what was going on. Sometimes I meditated, but it was more like if something struck me in the moment, it like really the ideal way to build intuition is to take it out into the wild. When you walk into Starbucks, take a moment, not you, Nicole, but anyone listening to this, Take a moment and really like plant your feet on the floor and just drop in. And first of all, ask, is it in my highest and best to be having a coffee right now? 
and really, really perceive what you get. And if you get a yes, then you can play, dare I use that word play, because we take this shit so seriously. You can play and be like kind of coffee and just see. Like, is there a particular milk that comes to mind? Like, that's li- that's literally how you build it. And then when there is other things like car versus subway, you know, this or that, like, you can just check in and see. And that's how we start building. It's like you can literally check in about anything, anything. And when we get an answer that we're kind of like, what the fuck? Then we can take it and maybe put it to our deck. We can ask someone who we know and They can help to clarify for us. We can join a group and put it out to the group and see what answers resonate with us. Like it's always nice to have teacher, community, mentor, someone to work with us on this. But really, it's just kind of like blind practice. I never had like a ritual other than tarot. I've always done mindfulness meditation um, to help with my anxiety. But it wasn't until way later in my practice that I had a sitting practice, like a silent practice. It was just more like you actually, I think to build intuition, you want to kind of work in conjunction with what is present. And when there is a question that you want to ask, you often have to stand there in silence and listen for it. So then it's a kind of an actionable directive, if that makes sense. Like if you're checking in about Starbucks, like, and I also want to say, just so everyone knows this, you will fight with your guides all the time. Last night, this is some real talk radio right here. Last night I bought tiramisu and kind of like ordered it without thinking about it. And I was like, I, I, of course I want this. It's on the menu. And it went 100% when I ordered it. It was like a to-go order and we picked it up. And before, I would have not even like remembered to check in about that. I didn't remember to check in before I ordered it. When I took it out of the fridge, I checked in and I got a no and I threw it away. (laughs) So it's like sometimes you hear shit that you don't want to do and they're okay with that. It's Mm -hmm. like it's just it's there for you if you want to take it. So I chose to take it last night. Yeah. You know. I really appreciate the reminder that like building intuition, like you said, is like akin to building a muscle. This idea that like it's a practice. I think that it's easy. Again, when we were talking about like myths and misconceptions, like you either are someone who's in touch with your intuition or you're not, right? And it's this like yeah. hard and fast, Total unchangeable lie. thing. Yeah. Um. So I appreciate that. Just like learning any new skill, right? It's not like I'm like gonna pick up the guitar and just like assume I'm gonna be able to play it if I've never done that before, totally. right? And I think mm-hmm. like sometimes with this like less tangible stuff, it's easier to think like I either am this type of person or I'm not this type of person. And I I appreciate the reminder that that's, you know, not the case. Yeah. So the last thing, I mean, I want to ask you a hundred more things, but the last thing that I um, wanted to touch on before we start to wrap up, it's really clear just from what you've shared in this conversation that you prioritize like building a life and a business that supports, you know, both ongoing healing, like, and this intuitive work, which to me brings up the topic of boundaries, which again, I'm sure could be Mm -hmm. like its own multi-hour conversation, but I'd love to ask you just if there's anything that you want to share on the topic of boundaries, whether it's like an example of a boundary that's important to you right now and how you enforce it or kind of more general thoughts on setting, you know, and keeping strong boundaries. I have a lot to say about boundaries. Um, My boundaries might seem a little extreme to some people, but they are so that I can have a life. 
I just look at boundaries as being that I am a house, my body, this body, this auric field, this soul, this brain, everything about me is a house. And it is part of my job to caretake and be very clear about who comes in and out in my front and my back door. So when I consider this body as a house, I'm looking, it's very easy for me to superimpose kind of all the systems of my life into like the attic, the basement, the windows. Like, is there any area where people just keep coming in, where things just keep coming in, where I'm kind of besieged by like an overwhelming, you know, emotional boundary that gets crossed or whatever. And I'm very good at cutting the line really tightly. So I've just learned over time that there are certain things that I have very strong boundaries around. One of them is I'm not friends with my clients. A lot of people have not liked that, <laughs> but I'm not friends with my clients. I don't get Reiki from my clients. I, I have had in like thousands of people that I've taught, like two to three people where the work progressed to the point that we were able to become, because they became colleagues of mine, where we were able to become friends. Um, I've had a, a number of people go on that I've taught to be um, very successful colleagues, but it's remained more of a student-teacher business uh, professional relationship. And it, there's just been a couple people that like the right place, right time, right situation where we've become super close, but like that's out, out of like hundreds you know, of people in person and thousands all over. And I have very strong boundaries with Instagram and I have weird boundaries that like one of my very weird boundaries is when I go away on a trip, I never talk about it on social media. I don't post about it. I don't need people to know where I am. And that seems really odd, but it's not. I've learned that when I do that, a, sometimes it invites people into feeling comparison or sadness. Like I want to be away and I feel all of that. And I don't necessarily need to invite that in. And B, I almost always have a rush of people being like, oh my God, you're here. Can I see you? And that's often not what it's about. So it's been like, I have weird boundaries. I have very strong boundaries about my space, who comes in my home, I don't answer DMs, like that kind of thing. But that was all because I had no boundaries when I started this. People were coming in and out of my house. I was texting with clients, taking them during off hours. It's all been built through experience. I have had to retrofit my boundaries into my business because it's been years of experience where I've been like, oh, that doesn't feel good. The thing, though, that I would say to anyone listening to this is like, please don't be afraid to retrofit your boundaries. It's perfectly fine to turn to a person or people that you're serving and be like, Hey, we've been doing this for like two years. We're not doing it anymore, but we're doing something different. It's email only now. So I've found that people totally honor it and come with me on that or they don't. And then that's it. And it's great. But yeah. Yeah. And I have pretty strong boundaries in my home for my, you know, clarity of, thought and mind, <laughs> you know, like I, I have, you know, they're important to me and I 
live them very, live them to the fullest. Mm, That's for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, just for what it's worth, I don't think any of those are weird. I think that all of that makes complete sense. Also, I find it very empowering to hear someone else, especially another woman, talk about her boundaries around like life and work and personal stuff. And because I think there is like some allowance of like, am I really allowed to do that? Right? Like you said, that you can do it retroactively. You can retrofit those boundaries. And I also appreciated what you said about like, some people are going to be respectful and some people aren't going to respond well. And like, it can be the right thing. And it can also be really scary that there's a very like both end element here that yes. doesn't mean that you can't do it, even if it's hard. That's right. Yeah. Cause they are hard usually. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great place to start to wrap up. And the way that we end these are with a series of community questions. So this season we have eight questions that the Patreon community, the wonderful folks who support and fund the show have put forth um, for all guests to answer. If you are down to answer eight random questions. I am so down. I can't wait. What's something that you do purely for fun and joy? Oh my God. Oh, I have a lot of things purely for fun and joy. I'm like a secret lover of Disneyland and like, I'm not a Disney person, but I guess that's not like a regular thing. Um, but that's the thing that came to mind yeah. somehow is <laughs> like Disneyland kind of. Yeah. I know? love it. I mean, there's certainly yeah. no right answers to any of these questions, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next question is about home, or I guess more specifically the meaning of home. What's something that really makes you feel at home? Oh. A sense of safety makes me feel at home. And my you know, my little family with my husband and my cat feel like deep home to me. Really, whenever I'm touched into my practice and I'm connected, I'm remembering to be open to everything that surrounds me invisibly. I really always feel like I'm home. What's one thing that you do as regular maintenance in your most important relationships that you feel like has an impact on keeping them strong and healthy? listening with real care, really, um, taking the time to listen and to be there, be present. Even if it's a text, even if it's a a quick message, um, really being present for that. Um, and also being really compassionate with times when we're not able for one reason or another to have that really intimate connected time. Just, yeah. Uh, what are three things, big or small, that you feel grateful for today? I feel really grateful to be in Sedona right now. It's really intense, but I'm I feel so grateful to be here. I feel really grateful for the office. Um, I'm revisiting the TV show, and it's just right. And I feel incredibly grateful at this moment for. It sounds so superficial, but I'm having such a good hair day and I feel really grateful for that. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's funny. The next question is actually about boundaries, which of course we talked about. So maybe um, you can mention something that you know didn't already come up, but what's uh, a boundary of yours that is important to you these days and what does that look like in your real life? A boundary that is extremely important to me is the block button on Instagram. 
So I've learned through, and I just did a, not when this airs, it won't be just, but I did an episode about this on my podcast about how sometimes for those of us who are highly sensitive, if there is animosity, vitriol, really like ill will. And I think in our hardest times, sometimes we just have that for one reason or another, we're jealous or we are feeling kind of like down on ourselves. And so we kind of, um, you know, project that I can feel that. And I have spent so many years questioning that doubting that. And I no longer doubt or question that I just block and I don't do it in a cruel way, but it's usually there's some foundation to it. And it's like been like a soul retrieval. It's given me so much back. And I think for some people, it feels like a harsh measure, but not for me. If I wouldn't want you in my house, I would slam the door in your face. So I feel really strongly about not just saying, no, thank you. You can't come in, but also you're not going to get access to my shit once I say no. It's like, not like you're going to leak onto my profile. So I'm a big fan of the block button. (laughs) What's uh, the most recent thing you felt truly excited about? I bought a new car in December. That's the first new car I've ever had. I've always had old cars. Um, That was one of the most exciting things that's like ever happened to me. That was amazing. I love it. The next yeah. question is about books. Which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? I love Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock. And I love Loving What Is by Byron Katie. I feel like I return to those more than any other books. Um And I'm just starting to get into a book uh, called Die Wise by Stephen Jenkinson, I believe. And it feels like it might make that list soon. That's a good (laughs) title. I'm already interested. Okay. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, Last question. If you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I would invite them to give themselves the gift of kind of condoing their energetic commitments. Who do they feel like they have to keep up with, talk to, give their time to, and really ask themselves, does this not only to condo, to use the term spark joy in me, but does this feel like a two-way exchange? And if it doesn't, be willing to consider that releasing that pressure on ourselves is not only the most loving thing to do for you, but for that other person, even Mm -hmm. if they don't like it. Yeah, I love that. What's the best place for people to find you and say, hi, do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Yeah, I do. Um, They can do that on my website. They can, which is lindsaymack.com. You can email me at info at lindsaymack.com or you can say hi on my Instagram, which is at Wild Soul Healing. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Lindsay, thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and being part of the Real Talk Radio family. 
Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net, so go say hi. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Iris. Hi, Iris. Hi, Nicole. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions if you're ready. I am. What are you totally obsessed with right now? I am obsessed with Oatly oat milk. Um, (laughs) It sounds kind of weird, but if you've ever tried putting almond milk in coffee, you know, it tastes kind of like chemically or weird, but oat milk, it's just delicious and it foams up. So it's kind of like regular milk in your coffee. I don't drink coffee, so I can't relate to that. I also don't think, now that you've said that, I don't think I've ever tried oat milk, but I should because that sounds yummy. It's so good. All right. All right. You've, you convinced me. I'll give it a try. <laughs> What's an intentional money-related decision that you've made recently? Uh, recently, I maxed out my IRA for 2018 and for 2019. Um, so that's one of those kind of like unsexy self-care things that I've done for myself recently, but I'm actually really excited about it. I think that's incredibly sexy. <laughs> but I know what you mean. I love it. Yeah. That's, it feels good to do that for sure. What's something that you've been struggling with lately? Maybe something that you have found challenging. Um, so pretty much my whole adult life, I've been trying to figure out where to live and I've traveled all over the West and I'm always like, are you my home? Are you my home? And, uh, I'm never quite sure. And so sometimes I want this like big swath of land in the mountains. And sometimes I just want to be untethered and live in a van in the desert. So I'm kind of in that like muddied space of not knowing. And it's just one of those things that can kind of last for like months or even years. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I've moved around a ton so I can relate to this. I feel like I want multiple conflicting things at the same time. And it's like this, you can have all the things, but you can't have them at the same time. And when you pick one thing, it means you're not picking this other thing and sort of how to balance that. Yeah. It can be challenging. Yeah. I'm trying to sort of recalibrate my brain. So it's in that space of both. And Mm -hmm. so I can be like, Hey, you can have land and you can have a van. That's not the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, I struggle a lot when I'm like, okay, well, you have to do this one thing and it has to be that thing forever. And that has just really never worked for me with anything. And so, I mean, even like for me, like moving into this van this spring, I'm like, okay, like this is what I want to do next, but I don't feel like this is what I want to do until I die. Right. So it's like giving yourself space, like you said, to have the both and. Yeah, absolutely. What's something that you'd love to learn more about this year? Um, I really want to learn fly fishing. I've tried it a couple times and, uh, it's just one of those things that it's sort of like this meditative experience when you get in a flow, but I'm early on enough in it that, you know, it's kind of the messy learning bit, but, um, I really think it's important for us to have a connection to our food. And as someone who does eat meat, it's also really important to me to know what it's like to have to take a life in order to sustain my own. Yeah. Yeah. Getting more involved in the process of like where food comes from, what that looks like for you. Yeah. I think about that a lot. 
Last question. What's one thing that you've recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about? I think it's when we're in that kind of like messy middle space, like when we're struggling in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's kind of like that s- sweet spot between um, when something is processed enough so you can share it, but then it's still kind of vulnerable enough that it can land with other people. Um, and I would say that specifically with like mental health and how much that can vary, not only like over a, a year, but like even inside a day, sometimes mental health can be really varied. Um, and then also just like with intimate relationships, it's something that, um, is really just not talked about enough. And, uh, one of the things that I love about the show is that it's actually kind of like giving you a specific insight into how like one relationship is done and you can kind of see how does this work for me and, um, how would this work for my relationship? Yeah. I think about that a lot too, of the value of, cause there isn't one way to do anything. Right. And so hearing other people be honest about, you know, whether it's their relationship or like you said, mental health or, you know, that like messy in between space, like just talking about things in real time without the pressure of trying to have the capital A answers, right. Just like sharing stuff. I actually find that I learn more from that than from things that are supposed to be capital A answers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like everyone that I want to follow in my world, it's like, oh, you're showing me that you don't have it all figured out. And therefore I know that you have it figured out, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. That's really (laughs) well said. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible. Since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and paying the guests each season, can you share why you decided to support the show? Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this and I've been following your work for nearly a decade. And around five years ago, I ran your, uh, like running pro I ran in your running program and completed my first half marathon having never run at all. And, um, I've continued to follow your work and this just seems like really the least I can do, um, to kind of pay it back. And also what you do and podcasting in general, it's such real mental and emotional labor and that deserves to be compensated. Mm, I appreciate that. Yeah. You and I have been in this same little corner of the internet for a really long time. Every time I real like re-remember that I've been sharing my life online for over a decade, it feels like such a wild thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Is there something that you love most about being in the community? Well, uh, like most people, I really love the weekly notes of grit and grace. Um, and I also really love the monthly link roundups, but I'm, I'm also really excited to go on one of the retreats this summer. I know I'm so excited too. It's at the time of this recording, I'm in like deep, like final planning mode for the summer retreats. And so I feel like it's very like fresh and top of mind for me. And I feel really grateful, especially after like, yeah, we've known each other for like 10 years, right. That you're coming. I'm really excited. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Um, Do you want to share where you live and maybe a social media link so people can say hi? Sure. Yeah. So I live in Breckenridge, Colorado, and I'm on Instagram at Iris underscore Rankin. Uh, So that's I-R-I-S underscore R-A-N-K-I-N. 
Awesome. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much that support means to me. And we're going to have so much fun getting to know each other better after you've joined our community. Perhaps we can even record a future outro together like this one and get to hang out. That would be so much fun. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.